party people welcome back to another episode of the ice cold show first things first let's, let's jump right into the quote spread love everywhere you go let no one ever come to you without leaving happier that is by mother Teresa. we had a jam-packed weekend of uh basketball sports talk and all this stuff going on in the world and of course, on the Ice Coast Show, we can't wait to jump into all of it. And we're going to talk about a bunch of different things that happened this weekend, especially the most important thing to me going on in sports right now, the NBA playoffs. Um, with that being said, I'm not going to come with a lot of notes and, and talk a lot of the, the numbers and things. I'm just going to talk, and it's going to come exactly for me and how I feel and what I've been noticing, so on and so forth. Without further ado... Let's jump right into it. Let's start with the uh, let's start with the Bucks. Let's start with the Bucks series, and let's start uh, with them against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, game two, uh, you had, I mean, you had the Bucks just go out and beat the feathers off the Hawks. Literally, I mean, they were up at at points. They were up at by like forty points, forty six points or something like that. End up winning, and it wasn't close. Um, not only tying up the series, but definitely was a statement win in game two. And personally, what I saw in that game was the Hawks, after stealing one in Milwaukee, I feel like they got complacent in game two. As the Bucks came out there, uh, definitely with their intensity on a whole nother level, they were going after every loose ball. Very physical on the defensive end of the ball. I mean, just smothering pretty much offensively, defensively, up and down the floor. And I think the Hawks just couldn't match that. And now at a point when they, they realized, like, hey, we they just they just got our number tonight, they kind of just, like, relaxed a little bit and kind of let the game slip completely out of their hands. I don't really see a lot of fight from them as the game kind of grew in the second quarter. I believe it was the game kind of started to – the Bucks separated themselves and the Hawks just kind of, uh, you know, we'll get them next game. That's tough to me, man. I I just don't like when you when you turn it off. Sometimes it's hard to turn it back on, and I definitely saw the Hawks turn it off that game. But on top of that, not to you know give all the credit away uh, to the Hawks for losing. Um, the Bucks played absolutely fantastic. Giannis was a different guy as far as um, attacking the rim, not settling for jumpers. Um, even the role players like Brooke Lopez, P.J. Tucker, all those guys just came out and played just a hundred to a hundred times better than they did in the first game. Um, when the Bucks are playing like this, you you remember why people are like, yeah, you know they're gonna beat this, they're gonna beat the Nets. It should be easy, especially with these players being injured. And then after they swept through um, against the Miami Heat, this is the same team we saw, man. When they're when they're playing with that intensity and with that hunger and that drive. There's nothing you could do about it. When Giannis is deciding not to settle and he's deciding to take it to the rim, not shoot threes, um, not worry about getting fouled, hitting free throws or not, the way Drew Holiday was aggressive on both ends of the floor, attacking the rim, he was hitting his jumpers. They both they both produced 
I mean, all three, uh, both of those two stars produced for the Bucks. As long as you had the role players, like I said earlier, Brooke Lopez, uh, Pat Connington, um, Bobby Portis, who was absolutely amazing, who's a fan favorite in Milwaukee, if you couldn't tell by watching that game. Um, he played absolutely uh, fantastic, too. And I, I said after game one, I would like to see more Bobby Portis minutes. Um, and maybe less Brook Lopez minutes because I thought Bobby Portis gives them just a little more as far as it goes at athleticism on the floor. And um, he definitely showed up and he played a great part in game two in the game two win. Now you flip that and you go off into game three, which is the game we most recently saw. And it was it was a game where basically it was a tell of two halves for the Hawks. And not even I wouldn't even say a tell of two halves. It was it was a significant thing that happened to me that caused him to lose game three. Uh, Trey Young was on fire starting off the game, game three. He said, you know, after game two, he said, you know, hey, I didn't play well, it's on me. And which that's big to me for a young guy who it's only his first time in the playoffs. He's had, you know, up and down with the media uh, throughout his first three years in the league. For him to go out there and just say, hey, man, up, hey, hey, they got us. You know, it was one of those nights where basically what I said just now, they were making shots. We weren't making shots. They had our number tonight. They got us. But I, I can promise you I won't be as bad as I was in this game. Nine turnovers he had in game two. He said, I won't have nine turnovers again. Um, and he came out in game three, and he was incredible. I mean, the Hawks came out firing. Um, they were leading by as many as like 15, 16 in the first half. But the Bucks were able to whittle away, get the lead down. They played good basketball, good team ball. You've seen the same thing from Giannis um, and Drew Holiday being aggressive. Giannis getting to the rim. He even hit a couple threes this game. At least he hit one off the top of my head that I remember. But he was definitely his same aggressive self. The way Giannis is playing in the post for a guy who you don't think of, when you think of Giannis, a lot of people don't necessarily think of Shaquille O'Neal or think of the, your traditional centers because he does play like a more of a forward. In a way, he, he's like a wing player. It's, it's just a different it's a different way than they play the big man game today. But to me, man, Giannis is like a dominant center. Um, what we would consider a dominant center before is what he is now. And I think he showed a, a little bit what he can do in the post. I saw a lot of up and unders, a lot of a lot of use of his arms as far as his elbows and getting separation and extension, able to get to the rim and finish. I liked what I saw from Giannis in game three, but the game was definitely won by Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton in the second half, uh, especially in that fourth quarter, man, he took off. He only scored 15 points in game one. Only scored 15 points in game two, and then game three he scored over 30. I mean he was hitting he was hitting all everything he threw up at the rim. It was just incredible. It was going in. There was nothing the Hawks can do. And as the Hawks were trying to match and trying to keep their lead, that's when I, the turning point of the game to me happened. Uh, Trey Young shoots the ball or is a turnover or whatever it was, and he decides to try to you know he's trying to get back on defense. As he takes a step, he actually steps on the referee's foot, uh, rolls his ankle terribly, like rolls it something terrible. I believe this is like late third quarter. Um, you know, Trey Young, he sits on the floor. He doesn't really get up after it happens. And then not only does he get up, does, does he not get up, when he finally gets to his feet, they, they actually take him to the back, to the locker room. And I'm thinking like, okay, I see the ankle turn. I know how, how severe ankle turns can be. It didn't look like a good ankle turn either. I, it looked like a very a very bad one. But I, I fully expected him to come back out and play, which he did. 
But when he came back and played, man, he definitely wasn't the same guy. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't able to get the lift on his jumper. Um, he was grimacing up and down the floor. Um, Trey Young doesn't have a lot of size, so what he is able to do on the offensive end is is predicated on his quickness and his ability to get to get by ball handlers. So. I mean, get by defenders with his ball handling skills, whether that be coming off the dribble and ISO between the legs, hezzies, getting by you that way, or stepping back in the three. Or uh, what we see in a lot of with the Hawks is they set a lot of ball screens for Trey Young. And when Trey Young's coming off that pick, he's super deadly because he has the first step. He has that quickness to turn that corner and get straight to the rim. No problem. And his floater is probably the best floater in the NBA. Um we see a lot of guys try to master the floater. A lot of small guys do it. Steph Curry was doing it for a long time. He still does it here and there. But Trey Young is right now, that's that's his shot right now. That floater, when I think of a floater in the NBA, I'm thinking of Trey Young. When he's coming across and getting into that key and he's able to just stop right there, flick it up at the rim and just throw it higher than you can jump and it falling straight down into the net. Um, with that ankle injury, I wasn't able to see it. I didn't see him... Um, hitting the corners and coming off them screens as hard. And then even then, if he was trying to, you know, step back and hit the three, he couldn't get the lift to really get up on the jumper. It wasn't getting off, getting it off as fast. Um, everything just seemed off after that ankle injury. And the Hawks, they struggled to score. To me personally, um, I don't I don't take too much stock in it. Uh, a game where they definitely could have won um, without Chris Milton catching fire like he did. But I think it just showed how how great Trey Young really is because we saw him uh, be removed from a team for not that long on the as far as like in game minutes. You know, he from the injury to him getting back on the sideline probably was only like two three minutes of game time, actual like minutes on the floor. But it, the Hawks were a completely different team when he was off the floor. I mean, you tried they tried to play some uh, Lou Williams and kind of simulate the same actions that you run with Trey, which worked to an to an extent it worked, but when you got late late in the game and Trey's back in the game and you're basically going, "Okay, bucket for bucket." You knew the the, the Milwaukee Bucks were going to go down and get a bucket and you you know, we weren't sure if the Hawks were going to be able to match because they were have to they were having to find kick the ball out find different guys to take shots because their star wasn't doing it. And I just think you now we understand how important Trey Young is. Some people think it's a fluke. Some people think like, hey, he's just having an amazing run. He spearheads this Hawks offense like no other, and they just kind of looked lost without him on the floor. And on top of a bad situation to make it worse, he had some MRIs done. They said it's a bone bruise. And now he's questionable for game four. I doubt he misses out. I'm pretty sure we're going to see Trey Young play in that game. But just the fact to know it's bad enough that they're even calling him questionable, and we know for sure he's going to definitely have some lingering effects. I don't know. For the Hawks, man, it, it's scary right now. Going to this down, Are you, you take game one, then you lose uh, game two, and you're thinking, hey, as long as we go out there and we take care of our business on home court, you know, we put them in a bad position that, now you're at the point where it's like, hey, we have to win this next game or our season is over because I don't think you go into game five in Milwaukee and steal that one. Um, not the way they played in Milwaukee in game two. And let's touch a little bit on, on uh, Chris Middleton on, on how special his fourth quarter is. Our fourth quarter was 
He finished with 38 points, 11 rebounds, and Giannis himself finished with 33 points and um, 11 rebounds. But this game, Drew Holiday didn't have uh, he didn't have the big scoring game. Though he played 42 minutes, he only had six points, but he had 12 assists. And I said it uh, last time we talked about this series that there's gonna be a game where all three of the big three on the the Bucks they're all gonna have a game and. And I don't know what the Hawks are going to do. I figured it would be the game in, like, game two. But even then, Middleton didn't have a, a super amazing game from the field or he didn't score over 20 points, only had 15. There's going to be a game where all three of these guys give you 20-plus, maybe even 30-plus. I just think the way that they run their offense and they shoot a lot of threes and they rely a lot on that three-pointer, that on days when they're hitting that shot, and especially you get minutes from those other guys, they're going to blow them out again. And I just, I don't know if the Hawks are going to be able to counter that with Trey Young being hurt. Um, The Bucks. everyone talks about Giannis and how Giannis is the best player on the team. And there, there's no there's no argument for me who is the best player on that team. It's definitely Giannis Antetokounmpo. But the, the most important player on that team is not Giannis. The most important player on that team is Chris Middleton. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's pretty much 50-40-90 the last couple of years. Uh, he finally made an all-star team uh, in recent years. He's so important for them because Giannis can't touch the ball late in the game. You can't put the ball in Giannis's hands and ask him to really create for others um, because his inability to draw the, defen- the defense if he's, a- if he's on the perimeter. When, that- when Giannis is in the paint, of course, he has complete control uh, and uh, all eyes are on him as far as the defense. But when he's hanging around on the perimeter, especially when he has the ball in his hand and his feet away from the rim, um, it's easier to kind of say, hey, just take that one-on-one and give him the shot and we'll just guard everyone else and protect the paint. And with Middleton, the difference between Middleton and Giannis is you can't foul Middleton. And Middleton has range from three-point line, from... uh, a couple feet behind the three-point line, he can get to the rim, and he's also deadly on his dribble pull-ups when he gets to the middle range, uh, to the like mid-range game. So I just think Chris Middleton. Uh, we see the difference of how good this team looks and how dangerous this team looks when Chris Middleton is playing good because Giannis has been producing every game. He's scoring about thirty points, and he's doing it without shooting the ball well from the field or well from the three-point line or shooting the ball well from the free throw line. He's still putting up. 30-point double-doubles and triple-doubles almost every night um, with his ability to just get rebounds and his athleticism. Like, he's going to stumble into points because, to me, Giannis, like, we talked about him being able to get in the post a little bit, but it's not a lot of it for me personally. It's not a lot of skill set with Giannis. His name's the Greek freak for a reason. He's a freak of nature. He's super athletic. Um, you know, he jumps in the air. He takes two steps from the from the three-point line or from half court, and he can finger roll or dunk it at the rim. It's just no one else who can who has the ability to do that. So what Middleton adds to me is just skill. Uh, the way he can get to his shot, the way he can get to his spots, um, the way he runs off of screens, the way he's able to run the pick and roll, um, things like that. When he's hitting his jumper, man, it's amazing. And this Bucks team... You, I mean, you can't you can't talk about it enough. Along with that, you had another good night from Bobby Portis on the road, adding 15 points, being the third leading scorer for this team. While, like we said, Trey Young just struggled in the second half with that ankle. Now, moving forward as the series continues, what do we need to see from the Hawks uh, for them to win? 
Every time Giannis gets the ball in the post, they need to be sending a double team. Um, Milwaukee has showed that they've been streaky shooting the ball in this series. They haven't been able to hit a lot of threes. And I think you you say you look at their team and you say, hey, you know, Middleton, he's been up and down uh, with his shooting, but he's a he's he's an all star in this league. He's going he, we can't leave him open. Um, I think you say Drew Holiday. Um, when the ball's not in Drew Holiday's hands, I think he's less effective on the floor. So I think what you do is you help off of Drew Holiday. Uh, you turn him into a spot-up shooter. Um, he was 0 for 3 this game, like 2 for 11 from the free throw line, uh, from the field. Um, I think you let P.J. Tucker shoot the ball, who hasn't, who's, who's known to be a great shooter, especially from the corner. He's a 3 and D guy. But if he's not shooting the ball well like he hasn't been in this series, I think you got to let him shoot the ball too. And every time Giannis gets the ball in the post and when he turns, and he should be spinning into a defender. Someone should be there. Um, you have to get your points in transi transition now if I'm Atlanta, especially with Trey Young uh, having an ankle injury. You have to get your points in transition. You cannot let the Hawks, uh, you cannot let the Bucks set in their defense, and then you try to score over those 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 uh, tall guys they have. They have the two seven footers in the paint. Um, Chris Middleton's a good defender. Uh, Drew Holiday's a great defender, and PJ Tucker's a great defender, and they all have a little bit of size um, compared to players like Trey Young, Cameron Herter, so on and so forth. So I think your best bet is to get down in transition, um, try to run Brick Lopez off the floor, uh, get him tired, make him run up and down. He's, he's a little older. He's definitely not, uh, doesn't have the athleticism that you, that the Hawks have with Clint Capella and John Collins. And to me, that's going to be the way you beat them. Transition buckets, um, running them out the game, running them out the gym, uh, a lot of transition, a lot of transition, and then forcing threes. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks have, uh, contrary to what they shot in the regular season, they have not been able to shoot it well from three in the playoffs. So I think that's the game plan. Um, Bogdanovich, he's look, he looked a little better in this game, but whatever he whatever happened to him with his knee um, last series is it, definitely affected this whole series. Him being out, it, it kills the Hawks. He only had eight points in a loss where you only lose the game by, you know, 11 points or so. And he only had eight. If he had 20, you win by one, win by two, whatever it is. Uh, Danilo Gallinari was absolutely amazing. I loved what I saw from Gallinari. Uh, the physical play, the physical play, he set a tone. You wouldn't think of him as an enforcer on this team, but he is, you know, his vet, he got the veteran leadership. He's chippy, and then he doesn't have the same speed or the athleticism that he once had. His offensive game isn't as explosive as it used to be, as far as um, him getting off the dribble, him you know pulling up for jumpers as, as in front of people and things of that nature. But when he's in the post, he still was a he still gave them problems. He still was hard to guard, and I think you know that's a welcome sign for the Hawks. You got good minutes out of Unkongwu. Um, who's a rookie, you got good minutes from Lou Williams, good minutes, uh, I would say, from Gallinari. Uh, going to see how they mix those guys in into the next game, but you cannot lose this game going into Milwaukee, to reiterate it, uh, for game five. You can't lose game four. You have to win game four. You got to tie this series up, and then, hey, you make it the best of three, and then you give Trey some time to heal up because right now, your back's against the wall. You're not healthy. You already have... Um, uh, what's his name? DeAndre Hunter not playing. Now you got Trey Young hobbled. Um, this has been a playoffs where it's not about who's the better team. It's about who can stay healthy. And right now the Hawks are starting to de deteriorate. 
every time every time the, the a game happens and the series goes on, there's more chance for injury, more chance for suspensions, more chance for flagrants. So Bucks, you gotta go out there and take care of business. You got all the momentum in the world. You do not want to play around because as we switch into the other series, uh the Suns look for real. The Suns were able to go out there, uh, steal a game out there in, uh, in in Los Angeles, and I was just so happy for Chris Paul. It's the first person I'm going to talk about. Uh, just to see the raw emotion he had for him not only to win a playoff game in the Western Conference Finals and be involved in the game, uh, sitting out the first couple ones because of COVID, then he loses game three in L.A. But let's keep in mind that he is in L.A., um, a place where he spent a big chunk of his career, where he was a fan favorite, uh, he turned. He turned. The, you would say. I would say he was responsible for turning the Clippers franchise around. One of the big, the big pieces that turned it around. And he was big for the city of L.A. And to see him go out there and get a win against that team in that arena, it was special to me as a Chris Paul fan. It was special. Um, on top of that, you saw Devin Booker, who had a, a solid game. Had 25 points, but ended up falling out. And his team being able to rally the troops in a game that was tight. You know, even though Devin Booker did foul out um, with like the last minute or two left, it was a game that saw free throws, um, purposely missed free throws, uh, trying to throw it off the rim and things like that. It was a very, very good game. And I personally thought um, Phoenix being able to do what they did without their best player on the floor, um, them having Chris Paul in moments like this, it, it just shows how valuable it is to have him on the floor. Um I thought that was special for them, and I just think that they're not gonna they're not gonna waste this opportunity to go finish them off. We already know, um, we already found out that Kawhi Leonard won't be playing in Game Five. I'm not surprised, man. I don't know um, if it's just me, but him sitting in the booth, I don't know if Kawhi's coming back. I don't know what's going on with his injury. I don't know how how serious this injury is. A knee strain keeping you out of the Western Conference Finals in a in a season where you're right there. Um, no one's really a favorite to win a title. Any if any any of these four teams make the make the finals, I like their chances, man. Anyone can really win win the title this year. It's so wide open. And for me to just see Kawhi Leonard sitting, um, not even sitting with his team, sitting up in the press box. I, if I'm a Clippers fan, man, it rubs me the wrong way because as a Laker fan, as a team that that wishes that don't like to see the Clippers succeed, um, I love it. I love it. I love the awkwardness. I love the uncomfortable conversations on TV every day and, and everybody who's talking sports is mentioning what's going on. I love it personally, personally because it doesn't make sense, bro. It does not make sense for you to be all the way up there and your team is battling. Um, who knows, man, what they're going to do in game five, but I just see them rolling over and they're going to blow. I think they blow this blow this team up. Either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. One of them's got to go. I think Paul George has proved that he he's better as a number one option than as a number two option. Um, he's looked really good with Kawhi being out. Uh, that being said, Paul George choked again at the free throw line late in this game. He missed a free throw where he was trying to make the first one, maybe missed the second one on purpose. He uh, to try to cut the lead down and get a chance to tie or go for the win. He misses the first one. Then he has to miss the second one, which he does an excellent job missing the free throw on purpose. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins gets the rebound. He's immediately fouled. He goes to the line. He makes the first one. His attempt to miss the second one, so 
he just throws it off the backboard, like hard as hard as he can, I guess. And um, the rule in the NBA is it has to at least hit the rim. It does not hit the rim. Um, the foul game continues back and forth. Uh, Chris Paul grabs a, a rebound off of a Paul George miss free throw. Another one where they try to force the miss. Uh, Chris Paul is able to grab a rebound and seal the victory, and that's where you can see the emotion kind of take over him. Um, you, you saw uh, DeAndre Ayton talk about how important Chris Paul what Chris Paul has been to his career, and he's like, I've never had a teammate like him. Um, what he, the pressure he puts on me every day, him asking me to, or him, you know putting me in positions to succeed, asking me important uh, the important questions, checking up on me, seeing how much work I'm putting in and if I'm putting in that work, just holding me accountable. Like for a guy who's very, very young, to have that early, to rub off, uh, have one of the greats work ethic rub off on you. We're not only seeing this with DeAndre Ayton, we saw this with Cameron Payne and him talk about Chris Paul. If you go back to last year and you, you listen to players like Lou Dort, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, um, so on and so forth, talk about the impact of playing with Chris Paul and how important he is to, to, to their careers, their development, and their team, and the success that they've had. We're seeing this all over again right now with the Phoenix Suns. Um, and to talk about the Suns, man, the Suns have a big three. Um, you have Chris Paul, you have Devin Booker, and the this this coming out party of DeAndre Ayton has been absolutely special, man. He's so dominant. When a team goes small, um, like the thing you have to do is dominate them in, in the paint. If a team goes small on you, you have to get rebounds. You have to out-rebound them to the point where they're like, hey, we cannot run this. We can't run this lineup because it doesn't matter how good of defense we play. They're getting four or five shots down on the other end. They're going to get a layup or a foul eventually. Um, and then you dominate with your big. You post them up and you 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 make it happen. And I think we saw in the first round uh, when the Clippers went small, that's their best lineup. They go small. They put Batum at the five. They play Marcus Morris, Paul George, and Reggie Jackson. And then they mix that in with either Terrence Mann or Patrick Beverly. One of those two guys play. It's a, it's a great small ball lineup. You got length. You got size. You got shooting all over the floor. Um, but when they did it in round one with Christoph Porzingis, he's not a a back to the basket big. He's not a, a banger. A lot of people call him a seven foot uh, seven foot shooting guard, uh, which to me is accurate. He stays and hangs around the, at the three point line, so on and so forth. Um, in the second round, you had the Utah Jazz with Rudy Gobert, who's a physical player who will attack the uh, attack the glass and things of that nature, but he's not an offensive threat at all. So. At, at that point, you just put a body on him and force the other guys to beat you. And as long as you're attacking the boards, you're not worried about him scoring on you. Well, that's totally different. Now you have Zubac, who's playing the most minutes he's ever played, not only in just the playoffs in his career, um, playing against uh, DeAndre Ayton. I mean, he led Zubac led the, the Clippers in minutes played. Uh, no, he didn't lead. He was two minutes less than Paul George, but he was tied for second, playing 40 minutes in this game. And I just don't think that helps out the Clippers at all because they're forced to play a guy 40 minutes who they really wouldn't rather have on the floor. Uh, meanwhile, Aiden's playing 41 minutes, and he's at 19 points and 22 rebounds. Just absolutely incredible snagging 22 rebounds uh, in the game. And not only was it uh, that high number of rebounds, he got nine of them on the offensive side of the of the ball, just creating second chance opportunities. He hit he hits his free throws at a nice clip. He was able to do that. 
where Zubac, he competed himself having 14 rebounds and getting seven offensive uh, offensive rebounds. But, man, when you get 14 boards and the, your opposition is able to out-rebound you with 22, I can't blame Zubac. It's just DeAndre Ayton is completely dominating them. Um, I just don't think the, the Clippers have an answer, man. They're not healthy. They're going to need Reggie Jackson, uh, Marcus Morris, and Paul George to have big games for them to win. And if those three guys can't all have a good game, then, you, then you're counting on guys like Terrence Mann. You're counting on um, Batum and DeMarcus Cousins and Luke Kennard to give you the buckets. And at that point, I just don't think, I don't think they will. I think the, best, the better team right now is the Phoenix Suns. Now, if Kawhi was healthy, um, it could be a different story. But I'm going to say if Kawhi's healthy, then am I getting a healthy, a healthy Suns team with no Chris Paul having COVID, uh, no Devin Booker breaking his nose, no Cameron Payne missing out the game three with an ankle injury, which who knows if he if he plays more than the four minutes he played in game three, if this is not a sweep. Like, the Suns are a really good team, man. Not only are they coached well, they're put together well by a championship uh, executive who's uh, executive in the NBA whose nickname is Champ, who was, uh, if you ask anybody who was a part of those teams in Miami or in Cleveland with James Jones, where his value was about cohesiveness, knowing which guys need to be in what spot, knowing how to coach a guy up uh, to play a role, knowing how to be efficient in his role. He's taking that into the to the executive level of the game, and he's able to say, hey, you know, these guys are going to flow good with these guys. But if I put this guy over here and I can go talk to this guy and get him to buy into this role, I don't only make my team better. I make the job easier for my coach. Then you have a coach who's an absolute amazing head coach, a great motivator, a great X and O guys, and he's just an X and O guy as far as drawing up plays, and he's just smart as far as basketball knowledge and IQ. He's been in this game and been a part of the game so long. I'm talking about Monty Williams here. Um, then you give him a young superstar in, in Devin Booker. And a lot of people talk about Devin Booker being the second coming of Kobe, and don't get me wrong. I definitely see the comparison as far as uh, mentality and personality. Uh, you know, that that aspect of Devin Booker is definitely 100% Kobe. But if I'm talking about player comp and who Devin Booker reminds me of when he goes out on the floor, you know what I see, man? I see Brandon Roy, a former Portland player who had his career cut short because of uh, injury after injury after injury. Uh, was a very special score, and I think him and Devin Booker are one and the same. Um, their ability to uh, dominate the game, they can hit the three, uh, they can get to the rim, they're aggressive, they don't like confidence, and more importantly, they both kill in the mid-range. Um, I think both of those guys are one and the same um, as far as players, and we're seeing Devin Booker just shine and thrive as the best player on the team because he finally have he finally has the help around him. And he finally has a team built around him. We talked about, you know, Chris Paul impact. We talk about the impact of James Jones, the impact of Monty Williams, the impact of DeAndre Ayton stepping into his own. And now we have to talk about Mikel Bridges, uh, one of those guys who no one really thinks about. But let's say he's on a different team. I think he we're wondering how good can he really be. Um, he can guard anyone on the floor. One through four, 
one through four for sure. But most of these fives that's stepping out on the wing, like Porzingis, the thing, he can guard those guys too. Um, he shoots the ball well. He doesn't take bad shots. He doesn't force offense. He knows how to get the ball swinging, and he's always talking on the floor. If you watch him at the free throw line, he's talking. He's setting the defense. He's just like having – it's like five different Chris Pauls on the floor at all times. Like they're taking the identity of their leader who takes the identity of their coach who who – and all this is kind of uh, started and facilitated by your, by your executive, the guy who put the team together. It's just – the best team that in this playoffs has has easily been the Phoenix Suns. Um, from top to bottom, uh, consistent performances every single night. I, I just there's not there's not enough words I can say. Cam Johnson, Dario Saric, uh, Tory Craig, uh, what he's able to do as far as uh, defensively when he's able to come into the game. Uh, Cameron Payne has just changed the whole trajectory of his career and the whole opinion on him uh, of, of him. Jay Crowder, who's always been the consummate pro, the role player everybody loves to play with, um, came on this team and he just adds a layer of toughness, a layer of physicality, um, a layer of energy. One of those guys you just love to play for because he's going to go out there and he's going to stir up enough drama to where it becomes bigger than basketball. You're playing more than just a win. It becomes personal. And you need players like that because now you'll never have to worry about getting up for a game. Because when you got Jay Crowder on the, on your team, he's going to give you a reason to get up for the game every single time. I just love this Suns team, man. I, I, I really, I really truly do. Um, even whether it be shooting threes, whether it be getting to the rim, whether it even be playing defense, they held the Clippers to 80 points. It's the lowest, um, lowest score, I believe, all season was 80 points. No one scored 80 or lower all year. And now they've done it in the playoffs at home. In a game that either, neither team shot well, it was a tightly contested game, but this series has been great. Every every game has been great. Though it's a 3-1 series right now, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching this series. Um, I definitely see Phoenix going on and not only winning this game, I think Phoenix is going to win the title this year. Uh, I hope they do. It's got to be Chris Paul's year. Whether it be Milwaukee or Atlanta that comes out of the East, I think it's going to be Milwaukee at this point with the Trey Young injury. I definitely think Phoenix is going to beat either team man I just think it's the, it's their year um rooting for them uh to wrap up the episode today we'll just talk a little bit about Chauncey Billups um he did get hired as the new coach of of the Portland Trail Blazers and I, I would have to say I definitely like the hire um I think him being a point guard who was a defensive-minded point guard uh, through his career winning titles with the Detroit Pistons and being a part of one of the best defensive teams in NBA history, I think the knowledge that he can impart on that team defensively is, I mean, it's crucial. It's probably what got him the job. Um, being able to give the Blazers some kind of plan of what he sees with CJ McCollum and, and Damian Lillard in the future, um, I'm sure that he they had those conversations. And I'm excited what we're going to see from them. And like I said, just to talk about Chauncey, he's a guy who's done it all in the NBA. Um been considered a draft bust when he came out, uh, I believe drafted uh, from the Boston Celtics early on, uh, bounced around and played for a couple teams in the NBA before he was able to go to Detroit, uh, find a system, be around people who believed in him, and then he was able to turn his career around, um, creating himself basically, some may argue, a Hall of Fame career. I know he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, but some people say he deserves to be. 
Some people say he doesn't. It's up to you to decide. But he turned it around from a career where he should have been out of the league uh, very soon, if you look at the, the beginning of it, to a guy who, like I said, arguably a Hall of Famer. Um, there's so much he can he can he can offer this team as far as wisdom. You got your two best players are guys who went to small colleges and guys who um, didn't have a lot of guys believing in them early on in their careers and been able to outproduce and outperform any other expectations. You got Mr. Big Shot is about to coach Dame Time, one of the one of the more clutch clutch point guards. Uh, as far as shooting in the late game situations, is about to coach the currently most clutch player in the NBA. I would say, um, just I'm very interested in what's going to go on in Portland. Uh, it's nice to see we have him getting the job, Jason Kidd getting a job, Ime um, Udoka getting his first job, and all three of those guys, Dallas, Boston, and uh, Portland, uh, playoff caliber teams. Teams that did make the playoffs this year and, and have rosters that can compete for uh, for deep deep runs in the playoffs, uh, potentially compete for a title depending on the, the moves you make in the next couple of years. Definitely um, the Dallas Mavericks adding a couple pieces to Lucas, seeing what you can get for Porzingis' trade value or seeing what Jason Kidd's going to do with Porzingis. Um, they can make them a title there, but a, a piece away from a title team. Um, you got the Portland Trailblazers who's been to the Western Conference Finals before. Um, losing to the Golden State Warriors, a uh, piece away from a, uh, a, being a title contender again. It's been word that they're trying to look at Ben Simmons' trades. Um, and then you got Boston Celtics, who've been in the Western Conference Finals three of the last four years. Still got Jason Tatum, still got Jalen Brown, um, and you just traded for Horford. See what kind of point guard Ime Udoka gets, on, gets over there because I think that's the, the most important thing that they need now because the East, to me... Um, it's definitely going to be the next thing to lose next year. But once again, it's going to be a situation where they're going to be another year older. Um, we don't know if they're going to be able to compete and stay healthy again. So the East can be wide open again next year. And just to touch a little bit on that, there's rumors already that Kyrie is, they're looking to trade Kyrie out of, out of Brooklyn. Don't buy into that. Kyrie ain't going nowhere. Um, but yeah, Chauncey Billups, man, I, I, I'm interested to see what, and I'm, and I'm happy for you. I'm happy to see three black men get three jobs and then not the Orlando Magic job. I'm glad neither one of those guys had to take a job where, um, like Steven Silas had to take last year, which one of the, the hardest moments we saw all year was after, you know, in the middle of their losing streak, how tough it was for him to go up to the podium and answer questions and just see a man be defeated. I'm glad we don't have to see uh, guys like Jason Kidd and guys like Chauncey Billups and guys like Ime Udoka take those jobs. They put the work in. They were assistant coaches. Um, they've done everything they needed to do. They've been players in this league. I I'm excited to see them go, and I wish them all success uh, moving forward in this league. With that being said, I believe that'll wrap it up for us today. Um, thank you so much for listening. Like I said, we we, we hit our month. Um, we're doing good with the show. I'm having so much fun being able to talk sports with you guys and just being able to get on here like days like today, just coming up here and just rambling. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, I feel like I talked a lot about both series and hopefully I gave you some insight about what I see and what I'm thinking moving forward. Uh, to end it off with the quote, uh, spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. That is Mother Teresa. I am Ice Cold. This is the Ice Cold Show. And as always, y'all, it's been authentic. Hey, I do my thing, baby.
this And you ain't never hit the trap like this So stop front, nigga I stayed down for the come up A nigga grinding to the sun up I'm trying to stack these funds up Make sure I raise my sons the right way Could give a fuck about what you might say It ain't a